our communion meditation is from Psalm 32. I'll read verses 1 through 5 and then comment on verse 5. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. A psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would open our spirits up with it, that you would pour in your healing balm, that you would absolve us of the guilt, the sin, and the uh, iniquity that fills us, that you would cleanse us and cause us to come to you uh, refreshed, restored, and in uh, close fellowship with you. We thank you, Father, for your word that does this, for the spirit that does this, uh, for your son's death that does this. We ask you now to bless this word to our bodies and to our time together in Christ's name. Amen. So I'll recap quickly. The recaps hopefully are getting faster and faster. And so now we have more and more to cover, verses 1 through 4. And yet, uh, in verses 1 and 2, we talked about it being the greatest blessing that you can possibly ever have on this earth. And we gave a lot of false blessings that some people view as these huge blessings that really aren't. And yet, we can, despite the forgiveness God gives us, despite the forgiveness he offers us, we can still, even as Christians, want to hide our sins from him. And that's at the end of verse 2, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So the deceit tends to be in us and remain in us. And yet, as we attempt to hide our sin, uh, we waste away. If we are gods, we aren't meant to hide this sin. And frankly, if you are a human you are not meant to hide this sin because we're made in God's image and God is holy. And so if you have sin in you, even if you are so given over to sin, unregenerate, uh, given over to Satan and sin, you're still not designed to do that. And so it's all wrong. And so whomever is out there that is justifying their sin, living in their sin, living apart from God and choosing to do so, they're doing so against their design. It's not what they were designed to be and to do. And then we came to this one last week. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you. So now we really come to this opening up, this admission of guilt. I acknowledged my sin to you. Now, in this verse, you're going to see, I believe, the tenses, past, present, and future. I acknowledged my sin to you. Remember, this is David. David has now stopped running from God. He's stopped hiding from God. He didn't choose to do this. It was really thrust upon him by Nathan, but yet, he did come to himself, just as the prodigal son. He's deep. In, up to his eyeballs in sin, and now finally, finally, he's acknowledged it, and he's stopping the excuses that he's probably been making all along. 
essentially stopped. He's just quieted his soul. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. In our busy lives, in our desire to be free from the pang of the guilt of sin, we drown it out. Especially, I know, unbelievers, I believe they drown out not only loneliness, but they drown out sin. They don't want to turn to the God that can be their friend, be there with them. I've known many people who, as they uh, mature, they never want an idle moment. They can't stand it. And so it is that emptiness in which God can reach out to you, in which you acknowledge that he exists, and you acknowledge that you are here on this earth in his presence, and he has a hold on you. And people who are in their sins don't like that feeling. And yet, we as Christians, of course, are told to wait for that feeling, wait for that recognition of God being with you. When I was young, some of you know, I've shared this once or twice before, but we raised chinchillas, and you go out there and you're feeding them, and typically you don't have to touch them. You know, they're really soft and furry, and they actually don't have big, huge teeth, and they're angry like minks are. And so, chinchillas are a lot of fun. A lot of people have them for pets. But sometimes you need to get into their cage. And as soon as you open that door, some of these chinchillas go crazy. They just panic. Their door is not used to being open. So you open their door, and they start running around like they're confused and panicking. And you have to really calm them down. And their tail is their handle. God gave them that for us. So you snag them by that handle, and then you slap them on your chest, and you hold them. Within seconds, they're calm. They just feel that heartbeat, and they just calm down immediately. All that frenetic energy that they were expending is suddenly gone. They're just, they're where they're meant to be. God gave them the handle. He gave them your heart to calm them down. And so when you need to pull them out for some reason, they just automatically calm down. And we are like that. We run from God frenetically, and yet he just wants to grab us and calm us down. So, I acknowledged my sin to you. In that quiet moment, David acknowledged his sin before the Lord. And that's where it was. It's here. You're here now. And my iniquity I have not hidden. See, this is where we're moving from past to present. He has acknowledged his sin. He's entered into God's presence having admitted to this. And now he says, my iniquity I have not hidden. In other words, I'm who I am. You know who I am. You know the sins I'm guilty of. I'm no longer hiding them. And here he's being transparent. He's just saying, this is who I am. Here I am, Lord, in all of my ugliness. I can't hide this from you. And I'm tired of trying. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. See, this is in the Old Testament. Grace is in the Old Testament. Don't let people fool you. Grace isn't a New Testament thing. So now, we, I believe, excuse this type of behavior in ourselves and others, this hiding from the effects of sin, because we regard it as normative in our world. And let me give you an illustration. We are embarrassed by nonconformity. When we ourselves are put in a situation where something we're doing or have done or, or are suffering, we're suddenly sticking out. And we don't like to stick out. It's an embarrassment sometimes to stick out. And I'll share with you an embarrassing episode in my life. 
I don't know how old I was. I was probably in second or third grade back when you used to have fun at recess. I thought when I went from the, the middle school to junior high, I'd get a much bigger playground to play on. They don't even let you out. They know you'd run away by that time. So here I am, and they let us out at recess, and we're running around as in the boys and the girls just automatically go to different parts of the park. And I hear, my pants tore from stem to stern. I mean, my pants were ripped through. And of course, I had very understanding little young boy friends. Ha, 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 look at Swab, his pants. So I'm hor- horrified, mortified. I go up to the teacher who's supposedly on the lookout up at the stairs of the steps. Can't find her. Go in the school. I find her. She tells me, well, I'll call your mom. You go into the class. So I go into the class, sit down. Now, you know how the classrooms are. They're shaped like this. There's a door on this end. Well, my seat is way back here in the back by the windows. So we're in class now. Everything's back to normal. Nobody really knows why I was in there early. Maybe I was in trouble. So now my mom comes. The teacher. I, I did that the whole way out of my classroom. And, and there are pictures mounted on the wall, and I'm brushing them all off as I'm doing this. And everybody's just looking at me, except my buddies, of course. I was mortified, and yet I had to endure this. This was normal, right? I mean, it's not abnormal to have this happen. It's, it, everybody has had something like this happen, and yet I was mortified. So see, it's normal to be embarrassed. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 8.12, what does God say? Jeremiah 8.12, he says this. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. So see, God expects us to blush. I was blushing that day when I was trying to get out of that room. And so this is normative. And so see, us hiding our sins, hiding our embarrassment, hiding our nonconformity is kind of normal. We don't want people to see that. And yet, God, he cannot allow that. We must acknowledge our sin to one another often and to him ultimately. And so we cannot escape this. So then we have, we have uh, the past action. We have the present reality where David is basically coming clean with God and saying, this is who I am. I can't hide this from you. I am who I am. And now we have the next portion of this verse. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You see, we're moving into the future. He's purposing to do something different from now on. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. This isn't past confessions. This is future confessions. He's purposing to do it differently from now on. He will not allow his relationship with God to suffer through his own personal embarrassment of sin. He wants to be with God. And he knows now, he's admitted his sin, he's admitted his iniquity, that he is iniquitous. And now he's saying, God, I want to remain in your presence. I don't want to run from you anymore. Now, what did he not say? And see, this is where we all err. What did he not say? He didn't say, God, I will never do that again. I will never sin again. He didn't say anything like that. 
He threw himself on the mercy of God. What he says is, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He's not going to be perfect after this. He's going to be honest in his imperfections after this with the Lord. And then, of course, the last, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So he confessed his sin. He admits his guilt. He promises that he will try to remain in God's presence despite his sin in the future. And then God says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God did it. Let me read you a portion from Exodus 25. Exodus 25, and I could read more, but I'll just read a couple verses. It's speaking of the mercy seat. Now, there is the Ark of the Testimony, and then there is the mercy seat that actually rests on it. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. So, see, the Ten Commandments are in the Ark. The mercy seat is atop the Ark. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony. And do you see the picture that's given here? The law is inside the ark, and yet God's mercy is resting right above it. You see, you have to go through his mercy to get to that law. We are sinful. We are lawbreakers. God has retained the perfection of his law. He's protecting it. It's there. It's valid. It's good. But yet his mercy is there to allow us access to it, to allow us to benefit from it. It has to be wrapped in his mercy, else it would be of no good to us fallen human beings. Let me also share with you from Psalm 103, starting at verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You know, earlier I talked about how grace is in the Old Testament. And I've been kind of in the middle of a study where we're studying the the importance of the law. Why is the law important? Why does it have continuing relevance to our time? And there is a sentence, a pithy sentence, that I think really does sum up the Bible. We refer to it as Old and New Testaments. I've heard some people say it really should be older and newer Uh, In some respects, the old and new tend to cause us to think old, bad, new, good. That's not right. We know that. We've learned to get through that. But this sentence, I think, really knits them together well, and it's the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. So see, these testaments, what we're celebrating here, was all in the Old Testament. It's all now. We're experiencing it in the New Testament. This mercy of God that rested above that ark containing the law, it's never changed. You always were dependent upon God's mercy to remain in fellowship with him. And only the proud, only the ones that refused to acknowledge their sin and refused to admit their transparency of their guilt, only those people alienated themselves from God. And so we must also do like God expected of the Old Testament Jews. Just admit their faults, be restored to him and fellowship with him. And so we do that through Christ. We now have a very full picture of just how God made this possible. But the mercy has been there all along, right from creation. So as we come to the table, let's remember that God loves us. He wants fellowship with us. We must not hide or attempt to hide our sins from him. Father, we thank you. 
we thank you for the fact that you have loved us from eternity past, that you have placed this in time for our benefit, that we benefit from the death of Christ uh, immensely. And we pray, Father, that you would now apply his blood, his body uh, to our accounts, and we thank you for it. We know that we will keep sinning until we die, and we pray, Lord, that we would constantly confess our sins to you, that we would not run from you. We thank you now. In Christ's name we pray and give you thanks. Amen.